Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. People who know me would tell you that I'm prone to making sweeping universal statements. Things like, this is the best pizza ever made. Or, after watching an episode of the TV show Friends, this is the worst TV show in the history of the world. I'm trying to break this habit, but it's probably best to get one last one out of my system first, so here it goes. We have never needed good leadership more than we need it right now. The pandemic is begging for excellent leadership in every sphere of life. Government at all levels, business, education, sports, all the way down to our own family systems. If you're tasked with leading anything in any way these days, you'd be smart to draw some lessons from the 500-year-old wisdom of St. Ignatius Loyola. Father David McCallum is a Jesuit priest who has devoted much of his life to mining the Ignatian tradition for leadership principles that we can apply in the world today. He puts Ignatian spirituality into dialogue with cutting-edge leadership research from quote-unquote secular sources like the business world. Father McCallum puts his thought into action as Lemoyne College's vice president for mission integration. He also leads the Institute for Discerning Leadership out of the Jesuit Curia in Rome, which is a formation program for senior church leaders. I asked Father McCallum which principles from St. Ignatius might be most relevant to us today. So if you've got a government or institution or family to help lead through these turbulent times, stay tuned for our conversation. And don't forget to tell your friends they can subscribe to AMDG wherever they listen to podcasts. Well, Father David McCallum, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's actually a pleasure to meet up with you today and kind of breaks up my uh, my day a little bit. So nice to be with you again. Yeah, for sure. So we, we've hung out doing some uh, Ignatian leadership training in the past and invited you on to the show because I've been thinking about there are all these, you know, great principles that we can pull out of Ignatian spirituality for so many different things in our life. Uh, and the way you kind of focus on St. Ignatius and his leadership style and things that we can can pull out there uh, to guide us in, in leadership, I thought, hey, that would be really timely to talk about. So we'll get into that. But first, I want to learn more, a little bit more about you. Uh, so yeah, you can maybe just start off by telling us kind of uh, what your background is and, and how you came into this work. So, Mike, I would start back with um, my training in theology when I was at the Western Jesuit School of Theology in the late 90s. I had an opportunity to uh, study the spiritual exercises of Ignatius, but also to look at them through a particular lens, um, through the lens of adult development, through the work of somebody by the name of Robert Keegan at the Harvard Ed School. And what it helped me to see is that the exercises are actually um, like a vehicle for our maturation as people and our cognitive development. And all of that development and growth and maturation has lots of implications for how we lead. So that got me on kind of a pathway to thinking about that through my pastoral work in a parish and in a retreat house, again, doing more of that work with the exercises. And, but it inspired me to go on for a doctorate in adult learning and leadership at Columbia University. And uh, when I finished that in 2008, I uh, was sent to Australia for my tertianship and then back here to my alma mater, Lemoyne College up in Syracuse, New York. I've had a bunch of roles up here. I was uh, brought on to do strategic planning and to teach in our business division at the time. Uh, shortly after that, I was asked to be the interim dean of the business school and um, again, was constantly reckoning with how does this Ignatian spirituality influence the way that 
managers and leaders take up their roles, work in the service of their organizations, make decisions with each other. Um, gradually, uh, that work um, has led me into doing leadership formation and development for the parts of the Society of Jesus internationally, uh, first in Africa, then in Europe, and, um, and now helping to lead a program in discerning leadership that is uh, a branch of the Roman Curia, the General Curia in Rome, and of the International Association of Jesuit Universities. So uh, I also serve as the mission officer for Lemoyne College, the VP of mission. Let's start with that. Uh, how do you do mission work for university, for college, uh, when the colleges, the folks aren't there, right? When, when people are, are scattered? How have you approached that in this time? You know, first and foremost, we're trying to get a sense of what are people's real needs. So not developing things that we just know, dream up of or think of out of um, a random creativity, but really trying to think about and be responsive to what are students, faculty, staff, and administrators asking for these days. So we've run some really good surveys to get a, a read and a bead on those things. Um, you know, at the outset, with this whole transition to being online, that was people's first occupation. It was like, how do we do this? How do we do it well? Um, how do we manage all these problem solvings that we've got to do around coursework and um, leading good meetings online? There's an art to it, right? Um, and so a lot of folks were just kind of stumbling along at first. But gradually now, I think people are starting to ask some deeper questions around, you know, this pandemic. It's really frightening. It fills us with a lot of uncertainty. The after effects economically are, I think, really a, a kind of a, a source of anxiety and concern for people. So I think people are starting to ask some of those deeper questions. Um, and that's a good place for Ignatian spirituality to come into play. Sure. So, mm -hmm. So you also, you mentioned again, your involvement with the, what's called the discerning leadership initiative, which is uh, connected to the the curia, the general curia of the Jesuits in Rome. So kind of a global vision. So what what is that project and, and how did it get started and what, what are your hopes for it? Mm -hmm. So over the last seven years of Pope Francis's papacy, he's uh, called for the church to really move in the direction of a more missionary direction, uh, not so much concerned about kind of maintaining itself, but really about going out to the margins, especially to those who are poor and vulnerable, and bringing that good news there. He wants the church not only to be not hidden behind the Vatican walls or our own church boundaries, but um, to be discerning in relationship with people in the world uh, as to how to respond, what's the spirit doing in the world. And then based on that discernment, um, coming together in synods, really these communities of discernment on the road together um, to make decisions about where the church goes for the future. So this vision for a missionary discerning and synodal church inspired our, our general, uh, Father Sosa, to, to really get this ball rolling. How could we bring people from church leadership positions as high up as the Vatican and the tops of the Vatican offices to come together with the heads of religious orders and uh, leading lay people in the church for a deep conversation, a spiritual conversation about that different style of leadership. Um, that would involve, you know, how to bring together some really good best practices and leadership and management from the business world, as well as the spirituality that's at the heart of our calling as Christians. And, um, and really from the Jesuit perspective, specifically Ignatian spirituality. 
So what what things have you you done so far? And I know it's a relatively new uh, initiative. So what's happened so far, and how's it been received? Mm-hmm. Last year we. Uh, we recruited 30 participants from across these different groups, the Vatican dicasteries, the um, uh, major superiors of religious orders, both men's and women's in Rome, and also um, various specially tapped lay people. Those 30 folks came together for two week-long modules, and those modules were taught by a, a small team of Georgetown professors from their business school, uh, myself and a couple of other colleagues. We, uh, we brought together curriculum that helped them to think through some of the challenges they're facing in their organizations. How do you lead change, for instance, uh, in a religious order? How do, you, um, how do you communicate more effectively in a church that's had to deal with scandal and uh, is feeling in many places fairly demoralized? You know, what do we do in, in order to um, create space for people inspired by God to be part of a co-creative church? Not one that's necessarily always looking into the rear view mirror to recreate itself, but looks forward um, and really hopes and aspires to what it can become. So that course, that was really well received. Um, we had such good feedback and that um, the, um, the, the sort of um, takeaways that people experienced were not just inspiration, but a sense of being able to work more collaboratively with one another. Um, They see that collaboration is the only way forward, and yet it's not typically the way that the church operates. Um, So this was a a big change for them. Excellent. Do you have plans for more things? A lot of that on hold too now? Like what's what's the hope for the future? Well, Father General asked on the basis of the pilot program that we make sure that we give it a future. So I was recruited uh, to lead that project. We also have a a team of others who are inclusive of the um, Georgetown business faculty we started with, also some business faculty from ASADE in Barcelona. And um, the idea is that we would launch one English-speaking and one Spanish-speaking program each year, and then eventually expand that even to uh, different international regions. So the idea is that we're hosting those at the Gregorian University in Rome. Um, They take place over the course of about six months, and uh, the next steps after we raise some money for the program are to to begin to roll it out in regions around the world, potentially India, South America, Africa. I'm imagining uh, business school professors from a place like Georgetown and then like sisters and priests and some lay folks who are connected to institutional church kind of come together and what that like cocktail would be like. Were there any surprises for you, like as bringing all that group together? What did they learn from each other? Well, it's funny. I think we all go in with our assumptions, right, for what we're going to offer and what the other people's uh, roles are going to be. And I think that at first, some of the business faculty thought, well, we're going to stay in our wheelhouse. We'll do our strategy and finance and leadership and management stuff, our HR, and we'll let those folks do the spirituality. But in fact, um, what happened is over the course of those two modules, there became a real mutual recognition of how valuable the other person's content was and how important it was to put them together, to integrate them, not just tack one onto the other. So what um, what was really interesting is the business faculty would say, for instance, wow, the spiritual conversation that you guys are cultivating, it's a better space for the exchange of not just information, but the assumptions people are working on. And that allows for all kinds of creativity that we might not have seen otherwise. 
Um, so the instrumental level of thinking that's really apparent in, in uh, business courses um, is given a different context when you're talking about you know, Ignatian spirituality or the, the hope for the church. Um, and it gives it more purpose. So the, the faculty express the sense that, wow, I'm part of a movement and it's a movement in the direction of a church that's more dynamic, more responsive to what's happening on the ground, um, more creative. And as practicing Catholics, for the most part, they're really excited about that. I think of the word integrated when I think about your work. I again had the the pleasure of sitting through some sessions and you know and dialogue with our, our team at the Jesuit conference and with you and and Karen Bado, who you mentioned earlier, also from Lemoyne, and uh, just to bring together all kinds of things. I feel like you have a great skill at that, like bringing from all kinds of sources and pulling it all together and showing uh, that there are some you know common threads. So again, as you're, you're mentioning, some of these best practices from management books or things. Again, you would read maybe by different executives, and then you have this you know, Ignatian spirituality, uh, the faith, bringing those together, not like, as you're saying, just like to tack them on together, but really to show how like there can be some like deep integration work there. So that's where I want to go now for the rest of our conversation. I want to think about that, uh, how we bring some of our tradition to what's going on in the world, especially in times that call for leadership. And there's maybe no time in our lifetimes that has needed stronger leadership everywhere than our current time. It's like this crazy time of uncertainty. We need responsive leadership, strong leadership in government. We, again, obviously following what governments are deciding, but also in all kinds of other places in the church, in education, in business, even like our family. So my wife and I, we have three young kids. <laughs> we have, we're making like more decisions like all the time about what we're going to do, how we're going to plan uh, sitting in this uncertainty than, than we have before. Um Really, no one is kind of untouched, obviously, by this. And everyone has to kind of discern their own responses, whether they're in like an official leadership position or not, like like weekly, daily, like all the time it's happening. So I wanted to do is to ask you to like kind of mine through some of this area of Ignatian leadership that you've worked in, pull out maybe some key themes that you think might help me <laughs> selfishly will help me will help uh, could maybe help leaders uh, at all these different levels of things to kind of keep in their minds and hearts and to, to put into practice so so uh, I asked you to prepare a few thoughts so what, what do you have for us <laughs> well let's see I mean the the first thing that really strikes me is kind of a big picture observation and that is that you know when we're when we're living life in our routines with our ordinary roles, and we we really understand where our comfort zone is and where our lane is, we can almost go on autopilot, right? And, and kind of go through our day and go through our week. Um, but when everything is upset, right, and really disrupted, and that's what we're experiencing, this intense level of disruption of the norm, we can't necessarily go through sleepwalking. If we do, we're going to run into all kinds of challenges. The, there won't be only no to- toilet paper on the uh, on the shelves, but we'll we'll run into other things that become really problematic and challenging for us. Um, so we could either respond in a creative, intentional way, like you're saying, your your family coming together around the table, maybe saying, "Hey, listen, we got to lay some ground rules because we're all at home, and you know we're not getting out of here any anytime soon." Or you could be reactive and fear-based and really impulsive. And, and we see evidence of that, you know, in the news today, there are people who are sick and tired of, you know, being kind of shut in. Um, and there's also a background level of fear that that's naturally at play. 
uh, when people's mortality is kind of confronting them. So um, Ignatius would say, first and foremost, try not to be reactive out of that place of fear and that, that sense of scarcity. If you do, you're not only going to do potential harm to yourself and the people around you, but you're certainly going to have harmful impact on the people, you know, downstream from your actions. Um, instead, you know, be creative, be purposeful, clarify, you know, who you are and what you stand for, your values, right? And once you've clarified who you are and what you stand for, then you have a clearer sense of what purpose you want to serve. And Ignatius would say, you know, invite yourself through the spirit to tap really great hopes and desires, right? So this is a period of time that, yes, feels scary and uncertain, but it really could be a time of remaking of so many things, right? If you shape it, if you bring your, your sense of vision and hope. Um, so not to let things just kind of, you know, ride but actually to clarify values, visions, mission, uh, that's very purposeful. And that can give people a sense of meaning and a kind of sense of direction at a moment where that's not all that apparent. Is there, that yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering if you have ways of like getting to that place. Because I know for me, like I found myself early on in this, like I'm a big Twitter user, um, which is dangerous sometimes. And it was dangerous in this case, right? So like I'm scrolling and then every refresh, you're getting more bad news, more statistics, things that are dire to the point where like, I was like, really like that was like feeding my anxiousness. So I like ended up just like deleting Twitter from my phone. I needed to like unplug from that for a while. Yeah. Uh, I still have that off. Like that's just not, it's not a healthy place right now. But like I, and I know like I I can say intellectually, yes, I know that these things that, that you're saying and to get to that place and to, to connect it with purpose and my hopes, but like, it's so easy to give in to the like almost kind of frantic energy. Are there ways that like any strategies you use uh, when like faced with something like that to try to really bring yourself back to like the, the important basics? Yeah. You know, what you're describing is, I think it's really familiar with so many people who are now becoming kind of addicted to the news because um, even though there's so much repetition, it, there's enough drama to it that, you know, we can't kind of look away unless we're really disciplining ourselves. And when we are inundated with all those facts, we lose the forest through the trees. So, I mean, th one of the first things I think Ignatius invites through his uh, contemplation uh, of the incarnation by the Trinity the Trinity is up there taking stock of what's happening in the world. And, you know, some people are going to hell in a handbasket and others are, you know, flying up to heaven. And there is this sense in which there's a contemplation of reality, but it's in the context of the fact that God has created the world, that creation is good, that we have been created with a fundamental, you know, sense of purpose and um, what Ignatius called the, the principle and foundation, and that our proper end is to experience the beatitude, right, of God through praise, reverence, and service. So we see all those har harrowing, you know, and very difficult, challenging details, but it's in a horizon where we actually have faith in the direction we're going in. Um, so that's one thing, like, can we come back to that big picture, to that ultimate sense that, you know, God is actually supreme in all of this, that we can trust and have faith that there's a bigger picture that we have a very small part in. Um, and then once we do that, 
you know, then the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity, right? Those VUCA conditions that leaders sometimes talk about all of a sudden can be seen in a frame, right? And not so overwhelming. The next thing I would say is we have to take stock of what are the movements of spirit right within us? You know, I might feel um, really desolate because on top of all these terrible statistics about mortality, there's an, a sense of uncertainty that eventually it's going to touch somebody very close to me or me myself, right? How do I put that in perspective? You know, how do I regain a sense that, oh gosh, all right, Ignatius suggests that if I can, I come to a place of equanimity about having life or death, right? Good health or not, because what's ultimately important is that I'm loved by God. Again, these are tough things to kind of keep hold of, but that's what's available to us when we, we pause, when we recenter ourselves, um, when we kind of take a breath and recall, you know, gosh, it, this is kind of a, a, an offbeat maybe um, example here, but yesterday I was taking a walk by this lake shore and I saw a, a nautilus fossil in a stone. And I put it online, a picture of it, and someone wrote back and said, well, that's probably 400 million years old. I said, 400 million years old. All of a sudden, that sense of cosmic time puts this pandemic in a certain perspective. And I think, wow, you know, what's my place in all this? I'm here just for a flash of that. What contribution do I want to make? Do I want to live my life constantly beset in fear by that uncertainty? Or do I want to say, listen, how do I summon up my freedom, my sense of purpose, and yeah, take action? Does that make any sense? Sure. Yeah. There's a, a Jesuit I follow online, uh, Bill McCormick, uh, who teaches at St. Louis University. I think he tweeted something like, uh, this pandemic has showed that we're Americans or we are more afraid of a loss of control than we are of our own death. Like that really seems to be in, in some ways uh, driving a lot of this, the things that we felt like we had control over those routines that you talked about are like kind of taken right out from, you know, right under, right underneath our feet. Um, so then how do we respond? So what, what else do you have for us from the uh, Ignatian or broader uh, Christian traditions? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say, you know, in addition to that sense of Ignatius encouraging us to pay attention, what's the movement of consolations and desolations? He would certainly caution us against making a choice out of fear or desolation, right? Um, so what do we do when it comes to the hard choices that leaders are making these days about their institutions, their their organizations, their corporations. Um, these times don't seem to give us the space, right, to make a choice out of, well, consolation if, if we're really lucky and graced. But, um, but how do we even make a decision that's got good facts when things seem to be changing so fast? So Ignatius would probably say, slow down to the extent you can get as clear a uh, handle on the details as possible. I think uh, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, offers us a really great example of an Ignatian-educated man, you know, through a couple of his uh, um, uh, schools, his high school experience at Regis High School, his college experience at the College of the Holy Cross. You know, he's taught to really pay attention to the details and to be scientific about that. That informs his thinking 
about things that are scary and huge and complicated. Um, and I think we have to do the same. We have to trust that the people on the ground are doing the important spade work who bring their expertise, their sense of the data um, into the conversation. And, um, and then I think once we've, we've gotten a sense of the facts and paid attention to the details, um, then we've got to exercise that prudential good judgment that Ignatius recommends, you know, clarify what are the principles and values I'm going to stand for and which I have to hold really at the core of everything so that I can be flexible about everything else. So if I'm really clear about who I am and what I stand for or what our mission and purpose is as an organization, it's going to help us to figure out what we do and how we do it. And there are, I think, there are real differences between the ways that mission and value-driven organizations are facing the hard decisions that they're making right now, so different from the ones that have a much more single bottom line mentality. So universities, for instance, right, are facing some really challenging, uh, very challenging and hard decisions about what to do about the fall. And they're going to have lots of implications for their students, their personnel, their faculty. Some schools, you know, are, I think, um, being much more corporate and expedient about, you know, flattening the, uh, the uh, hiring um, about slowing down any kind of planning um, and and really trying to, um, in, a, in a sense, keep the bottom line of the university whole, but without as much sense of the community, the sense of the concern for the individual. Um, in, a, in an admission-driven institution, that conversation about people and the care of the good of the organization has to go hand in hand. And you have to manage that polarity without ever trying to say it's one or the other. That's, I think, another one of those principles. Just thinking, uh, reflecting on your kind of mentioning of flexibility and trying to take some time, but knowing that we don't always, leaders don't have that much time these days, right? They have to make kind of quick and decisions, but also then reevaluate them as they go forward. Just thinking about like, you know, the, say the spiritual exercises, which are sort of designed, I think, maybe uh, in an ideal world for people to have 30 days or, or so to kind of go into retreat and to participate in the, the exercises. But even from the 1500s, Ignatius realizing like, hey, like you're not always going to have that sort of time and that's okay. Uh, there are ways that you can be flexible and still kind of see God at work in your life and participate in something like the spiritual exercises in kind of a more, again, a more flexible, responsive way. And to me, when I think of like old church times, you know, like that kind of hazy time before I was born, right? the old church times, like the, the idea of um, something like that from that era being kind of flexible and adaptable based on the, the person approaching it, that seems so kind of ahead of its time to me. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, the person, the places, the circumstances. And um, you had uh, Malcolm Gladwell on your, your show not too long ago, and he talked about the tradition of casuistry, which is really a kind of prudential judgment that you make based on the circumstances and what you, you know, you bring into it in terms of your values, your sense of vision and direction, um, and then making the best decision for that moment, which means we have to be really cautious about playbooks which want to break it all down into these either or solutions. Um, we have to be really cautious about, you know, leaders who are basically trying to drag us back to some kind of past that, um, that we can never recapture. We have to really instead, you know, look forward, 
get clear about what we do know, acknowledge what we don't, and learn our way right forward. The uh, the analogy that uh, I find so kind of um, evocative and a little bit uh, challenging is it's like trying to build a plane as you're flying it these days, right? Um, and in order to do that well, we're going to have to really slow down so that we could make up speed later on. Yeah, I don't know too. Like part of that and making those decisions and reevaluating, you know, that reminds me of like an Ignatian indifference or detachment, words that are used often in Ignatian circles. The sense that like to go into something knowing that your preconceived notion might not be right, that you have you can't be so like attached to your own way of doing things that it clouds your judgment and you don't allow for the possibility that someone else might be right or another way might be possible, which takes some again real humility to be able to say, like, I don't know everything and I'm coming into this trying to detach from my like you know way of going which means that I can learn from someone maybe even someone who I usually would disagree with someone from a different political party someone from a different background uh, but that there might be other ways do you see any of those themes of uh, detachment or um, indifference oh, playing out definitely definitely I mean I think any any choice or situation we find ourselves in where we've got to make a decision we bring biases. You know, and those biases are based on prior experiences and things that we've learned or done in the past. But this moment's new, right? There may be some dimensions of it that resemble the past, but if we try to apply old, you know, practices or old kinds of formulas to the current circumstance, we sometimes create new problems, right? It's almost as though if I learn how to use a hammer and I see everything else as a nail and I try that in every situation I'm in, I'm going to inevitably do harm. The same thing goes for these days. We can't apply technical solutions to things that we really have never truly experienced before. We've got to actually learn our way through and improvise and innovate, which is, I think, why Jesuit spirituality and uh, the Society of Jesus have had kind of a reputation for innovation for a long time. There's a sense of that agility, right? You get clear about what you need to keep hold as the, as the essence and the center of things, but you can let a lot of other things go. What other uh, tips or ideas from the tradition are you you're returning to these days? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, one of those is um, the difference between the the mindset that we often fall into when we're afraid um, that we're trying to just minimize the downsides of things. And, um, and instead, you know, what Ignatius would say is, no, be bold, right? Let the spirit of God inspire a sense of generosity and creativity and magis out of all this. And instead of playing not to lose, you play to win right? That's a kind of crude, you know, analogy, but it's about actually creating a bold vision that um, is filled with inspiration and that draws other people to it and attracts investment and commitment. Um, that's where we need to go. That's where we need to go. Um, so that's one, that sense of allowing the modest to come forth. Um, another is, you know, I think in these times, when we take stock of our brothers and sisters who are in much less fortunate circumstances from ourselves, we see that the current system is not working for everyone. And we see that this may be an opportunity to fix some of those imbalances, the terrible inequity between, you know, the richest and, and the rest. 
And um, this this time, as so many things are being broken apart, also creates the potential for things to be remade. Let's discern that. Let's not rush too fast to just recreate the, the order that that was. There's too many people losing out during that that experience, that process. Um, and I think Ignatius, and then you know, in in the 21st century, uh, one of his uh, his sons, Pope Francis, is saying, "Listen, um, the church and the world could be different on the other side of COVID nineteen. Let's dream together and discern what it could be for the world, for the common good." Yeah, I think you've seen you know people who are saying, "Oh, let's just get back to the way it was." For so many, uh, again, that as you were saying, that wasn't necessarily great. Right. And you see, I think, as the unemployment numbers have shot up and then people's like risking losing healthcare because healthcare in here in the US is tied to jobs. And again, often that we're seeing uh, this play out um, the, the rates of infection going higher in communities uh, that are facing more poverty, maybe live closer together or can't work from home and so have to kind of keep traveling. Uh, we again kind of it's reviewing a lot of these. Uh, inequities that were already there that might have been underneath the surface, which is something certainly that that Francis has talked about. Um, and yeah, and that, that's a bit again, that's the question is like, do can we use this? Will it help us propel us to more solidarity? Or will it lead us more to like kind of back into our own corners to kind of protect what we have and be even more isolationist. I guess those are things we, we won't see, or maybe again, it'll be a mix of all of it. Uh, but those will be big questions. Yeah, it'll probably be a mix. However, you know, I can't tell you how pleasantly surprised and inspired I've been in so many conversations with people, um, both in circles close to home and far away uh, in conversations with some of my my friends who live in Japan uh, two nights ago, the sense in, in which there's a widespread aspiration that we we grow through this, that we don't regress, right? There's a widespread and I think really um, uh, inspiring sense that, wow, we might be able to actually discern a better way to live that's less less driven, less frantic, less fast-paced, that's more open to our neighbor, right? That's that's more qualitative than quantitative. These are the kinds of things people are talking about these days. And uh, there's a part of me that um, that wants this pandemic, you know, not to just simply be a story of mortality statistics, but about this deep change of society, right? Um, Michael, you mentioned the word solidarity. And when I think about the fact that for maybe the first time in our human history, we are all not just experiencing a widespread phenomenon. We know that we're experiencing a global phenomenon together. We have a, a sense of the possibility of connecting a real sense of understanding and care with people who are living in an entirely different culture than ourselves, knowing that they're facing their mortality just as we are. If we, you know, inspired by this sense of solidarity, and acknowledging that, you know, this vulnerability I'm feeling is actually my true state. From the moment I live uh, and born and to the moment that I die, this is my true state. Um, that the illusion we have of security, of importance, of resources, of power, all of those things can be taken overnight. Jesus's parables make that so clear. If I spent less time preoccupying myself with building all that stuff up, 
when it could be taken away overnight. And instead, you know, really allowed myself to be caring and reverent for my neighbor, for myself, and for all living things. Imagine how different the world would be. And I think that conversion, you know, is something that's that's possible for us. Um, and I would love to see myself and others, you know, answering that that invitation by God um, with a different way of life on the other end of all this. I keep thinking in this context about this podcast episode I listened to right before all this happened. I've been sending this around and mentioning it a bunch of uh, people. Uh, the show called Cautionary Tales by Tim Harford, who is an English uh, journalist. And uh, in this episode, um, he talks about the story of this uh, jazz piano player, Keith Jarrett, who was there for a, for a live concert in the 1970s in uh, Cologne, Germany. And the piano that they had for him uh, was like broken. It, like half of it wasn't working. They had gotten the wrong piano. And so his like initial thing was to like storm off the stage. But the promoter of the concert, the organizer, she was like an 18 year old young adult who like tracked him down and said, hey, I got this. All these people are coming. A thousand people are coming or more. Uh, could you please just try? And uh, his music was all improvised. So um, he usually again was very particular about the instrument he used but he said you know what i'll try my best so he sat down and then he had these restrictions on him and so he had to only play kind of at the lower half of the piano because the upper half just wasn't tuned and wasn't working and uh the concert he produced ended up becoming like the most highly regarded solo jazz piano concert ever the highest selling one ever uh and so tim harford uses this story in, in this podcast to think about when we have these restrictions placed on us what is the response? Like we could walk away or just disengage as Keith Jarrett was tempted to do, or we, we could engage in a, in a different way uh, and maybe find some creativity in that restriction. Uh, something that we could do kind of with some, you know, with some boldness. And I don't know too much about like the story of the first Jesuits, but I can imagine that they are in a time that is uncertain. You have like, again, the rise of divisions in uh, the Christian church, um, not really sure what to do, uh, kind of maybe some restriction. And then like, well, how do you respond to that like restriction placed on you? And I think those are big questions for us uh, for reflection. Yeah, great anecdote to to really point to in the concrete. And he had to rely on all the tacit knowledge he had from the past and all the experiences of every previous concert he had ever played. And, you know, he had to rely on the fact that even though there were maybe no note sheets in front of him or not the optimal instrument, that there was a kind of act of faith, right? When he sat down at that piano, that something could happen. And that's, that's, I think what we're all being faced with. Well, Father David McCallum, thank you so much for coming on AMDG. Thank you for your continued service uh, to the society and the church uh, and blessings on you in this, this time. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much again for for sharing your uh, reflections with us. Thanks, Mike. I was really I'm really grateful to have been with you today. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, 
Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>